Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Father God, we just ask that you would cleanse our hearts and cleanse our minds. Father, we ask that you would purify us, Father, and get us ready, Father, to receive the engrafted word. Get us ready, Father, to receive the word so that we, Father, can grow from it, Father, so that we can retain, Father, what you're speaking to us through your word, Father, so that we can grow, Father. And I just pray that it bears good fruit, Father, in due timing, Father, whether it's tomorrow, tonight, next year, and so on and so forth, Father. I pray that, that the words, Father, that are spoken through the scriptures, Father, that they, that they sink in and they bring a transformation into the people, Father, and that they can recall these scriptures, Father. They can re recall your word and what it says, Father. And I just pray, Father, that you would do that very work in their life, Father, tonight and remove all distraction in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. So we are going to be... Um, Picking up where Pastor Matt left off last week, okay? So he left off on Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Okay, so that's what we're going to pick up from, okay? Now, I'm going to cover verse 14 because if you remember, he went over that verse, but he didn't really go into it. He just covered it and then because we ran out of time. Um, so I'm going to cover that verse just a little bit, and then we'll move on, okay? So Romans chapter 8, verse 14. So let me give you a small backdrop. Just a small one as far as what's going on so that you can fully understand what is going on here, okay? So in the previous chapters, in the previous two weeks, which is chapter 7, and then also at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul is discussing with the church um, the law and how it affects us, okay, how it affects them. That's what he's discussing. So he's you have to keep in mind his audience. So Paul's writing to the Roman church, and he's writing to an audience that's filled with Gentiles and also Jews, Okay, so you can look at Romans as a full gospel preaching from beginning to end. Okay, so he's hitting everybody. He's letting everybody know what's going on. Okay, so having said that, he has to cover certain things. And that's what he's doing in chapter 7. He's covering the law, and he's letting them know how the law affected us. Because remember, he has Jews in his audience. Okay, so how it affects us. He also covers in chapter 7 how it affects us Gentiles when we didn't have the law. Okay, so that's what, he, that's what he's talking about in chapter 7. Then he goes on into chapter 8. And basically what he's saying and what he's telling them is that the law showed us how exceedingly sinful we were and we are. Okay, that's the point of what he's talking about. We were, the, the law itself, it's good. We know that it's good. But it's showing us that we were exceedingly sinful. Okay, so Paul is discussing in chapter 8 at the beginning on how Jesus came and he set us free by his death and then by giving us his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, okay? So that's what he's discussing. That's what we're going to pick up, okay? So get that in your mind of as far as what's going on and what he's writing to them, okay? So he's just explained to them, hey, Christ, he came and he died for us. And because of that, he gave us his Holy Spirit. And because of that, he set us free from sin and death, okay? That's where we're at. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. And we're going to, let's see. All right. So we'll read here. I forget you always have it up there. That's great. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Okay. So we're going to stop there. As you know with me, you're going to, we're going to pull out some of the things in Scripture. I want to bounce around and show you what these things actually mean so that you understand what Paul is getting at here. Okay. 
this is actually, all of it's relevant, but this is pertinent for us because we hear this saying all the time. We hear the saying that we are all children of God, right? You hear that saying all the time. And yet Paul writes in scripture, he says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So Paul makes a distinction, right? He's not just saying everybody. So what's, what's the, what, in reading that, what's the question begging? What, what is the question there that we look at and we say, hmm, okay, what is he trying to say? It's obvious that the Spirit of God, if you have the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. But he's also saying if you don't have the Spirit of God, if you're not being led by the Spirit, you are not a child of God, right? So we hear this all the time. We hear it from, from people around us. We hear it from our friends. We hear it from our coworkers. We may hear it from anywhere else. If you've ever talked to anybody who believes in any other religion, you're going to hear the phrase from time to time, well, we're all, we're all children of God, right? And they say this for several reasons. Maybe it's convenience. Maybe it's to them culturally appropriate. Maybe it's just to be politically correct, right? Maybe it's a way of being inclusive and in just inviting everybody in, right? Maybe it's they just don't want to offend people, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that's not true, okay? Now, I didn't say that. Paul said that. God said that, and I stand by it, right? Because he says it in his word. So he says those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Okay, so it begs the question, are we all children of God? Well, let's go back and remember what we read last week in Romans chapter 8, verse 8. What does the Bible say there? It said, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so number one, those who are in the flesh can't please God. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the next verse. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, right? There's a distinction there. And if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. Okay, there's another distinction, right? So we, now we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, we see that you cannot please God if, you, if you're not spirit-led and you're not his, the third thing, let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 13. So we're just going down the list. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There's a distinction, right? You live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you see a theme here. Paul is making a distinction, and he's making it on purpose, okay? Now, what does the Bible say about the children of God? Okay, so let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this. Now, you don't have to flip through your scripture because we're going to be going through a lot of scripture. She'll put it up there. She has all the scriptures for you. Um, I'll, I'll pause in some of the big verses so we can read those, okay? But this one, Philippians 2.13, it says this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what? What pleases him, right? So what do we know about that, right? We just read in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, that we, if you're walking in the flesh, you can't please God. Right now we're reading here that God gives us the power to do what pleases him. So you have a distinction here. There's a difference. So someone walking in the flesh can't please God. Someone walking in the spirit has the power to please God. Right. Romans. And I'm just going to call this out. You don't have to go there. Vali. Romans chapter eight, verse nine. We are not his if we walk in the flesh. Romans eight fifteen says we are his. OK. If we walk in the spirit. You see the distinction. Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. Okay, and then the last one, Romans 8, 13, you will die. Basically, you'll die in your sins if you walk in the flesh. For the spirit, 
Romans 6, 8, if we died with him, we will also live with him. So you see the distinction in what Paul is saying here? When he says that we are children of God, if we, walk, if we are spirit-led, there is a distinction. And he's making that distinction on purpose. He wants you to know. So we see we can please God where they can't. We are his where they're not his. And we will live with him when they will die without him. Okay? There's a distinction. Okay? So you know we're not all children of God. Now, if that does not convince you, that's okay. We're going to give you some more scripture to convince you, okay? All right. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Now, I'm going to read this parable. This is a parable Jesus is saying, okay? He presented them, and Vali, we're going to go all the way to verse 30. He presented them with another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plants sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. So the slaves of the owner came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? He said, An enemy has done this. So the slaves replied, Do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, Nope. Since gathering the weeds, that's important. We won't cover that today, but this is an important thing. No, since gathering the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. In other words, the good seed. You may damage the good seed with them. Okay. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. But then gather the wheat into my barn. Okay. So you see the parable, right? Good seed, bad seed. Enemy came in, planted bad seed. Let's go on. Matthew chapter 13, verse 36. This is a couple of verses down, okay? Then the, then the disciples, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So Jesus is answered, right? He answers, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, which is him, Jesus, right? The field is the world, and the good seed are the people of the kingdom. Who's that? The people of the kingdom. That's us, right? Christians who are spirit-led, people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. Plain and simple, right? You're starting to see the picture here? The weeds are the, are the uh, people of the evil one, right? So you see that. I'm not the only one seeing that, right? All right. Good. I'm glad we saw that. But that's okay because if you ever had any doubt, we're going to give you another scripture. Okay, we're going to implant this in your mind and in your heart, okay, because you are different and you need to know that, okay? Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says this, everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice sin. Now, there's a difference, okay? It's not saying you can't make a mistake. There's a reason why he says practice sin, because God's seed resides in him. So, in other words, if you have the spirit of God, you do not make a practice of sin, and it says, and thus he is not able to sin, okay, because he has been fathered by God. Sounds like the children of God, right? Okay, let's go on. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Man, if you don't get more plain than that, I don't know what else to say, right? By this, the children of God and the children of, devil, of the devil are revealed. And so now he's telling you, this is John now, he's going to tell you how you make the distinction. Okay? He says, everyone who does not practice righteousness, the one who does not love his fellow Christians is not of God. Simple enough. So now you see there is a distinction. There is children of God and there is children of the devil. That's what the Bible says, right? Okay. 
Now, John, I like the way John puts it because it coincides with what Paul says. He says, this is how you're going to know who, who lives righteously and who loves their neighbor. Doesn't that sound awfully familiar to love, your God, love God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might, right? The, first, the, the greatest commandment. And then the second thing, love your neighbor, right? Sounds like the first two commandments. That's what it is. And he says, man, if they're not doing that, they are not of God, right? So does that mean that they're spirit-led? Yes, because if you're spirit-led, what are you doing? You're loving God and you're loving your neighbor, right? Simple as that. So it all ties together. It's amazing how you can jump from book to book to book and you can see the same continuity throughout because it's the same message, okay? So now having said that, we understand that there is the children of God and then there is the children of the devil. And so in verse 14, going back to Romans 8, 14, he says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. So it's important that you know that. Okay. So when anybody tells you that you're not just going to correct them and say, no, 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 no. They're the children of the devil. You're not going to do that, but you need to know that you are different. Okay. You need to know that you are different going on. Okay. So next we're going to cover Romans 15, 8, 15. It says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, so we're going to stop there as well. We're going to go over that. Man, time flies. Okay, so Abba, Father. Now, he lists here, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, right? So he talks about a spirit of slavery leading again to fear. He says two things. Why does he say those two things? Why are they important to us? And why is it important to him, to them? Because remember, his audience, right? His audience is Jewish people. Also Gentiles, but the Jewish people. And what did they follow? The law, right? So what did the law do? What did the law do? The law magnified their sin, right? And no matter how hard they tried to accomplish that law, they failed. So it was a revolving door. They were enslaved to it. There was nothing they can do about it. They could not accomplish their goal, right? And we know this because of Galatians 3, chapter, 10, chapter 3, verse 10. Let's turn there. It says, for all who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. Wow, right? Everything. If you don't do everything, you're not accomplishing what, what you're supposed to accomplish. So they were enslaved to that. So he says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery again like that. That's not what you received. And then he says, and a fear, right? He's talking about fear. Well, what's the point of fear? Why, why mention that in that verse? Well, because the law brought a standard, right? And those without the law, there was still a standard because the law was still showing to be written in their hearts, just as the Bible talks about. But think about the standard. If they didn't accomplish what they were supposed to accomplish in the law, what was going to happen? They weren't justified, right? And that means, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, they were going to feel the wrath of God, right? Because there's a consequence to sin. Romans chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, when he, when, when, we're not going to turn there. But when Paul is addressing, in Romans chapter 1, he's addressing the same church, the Gentiles and the Jews. And he details to them the wrath of God and why the wrath of God is coming. Because we were sinful, we were messed up, we were doing the things we shouldn't do, right? Not only that, but then Paul says, yeah, that's the Gentiles, that's the Gentiles. But then if you pass judgment, Jews, on them, are you doing the same thing? 
So Paul makes it across the boards to everybody. And that's why this is important. We didn't receive a spirit of enslavery to fear again. Why? Because there is no fear. How do we know that? How do we know that? There's no fear of judgment, I should say. How do we know that? Because in Romans chapter 8, if you remember, he read it last week. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let's turn there. Chapter 8, verse 1. This is why we don't walk in fear and why we're not enslaved that way. The Bible says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Simple enough, right? So now that burden of following the law, and if we couldn't do it, we weren't justified, that has been lifted. So I no longer, as a Christian, have to fear the wrath of God. I'm no longer under the wrath of God, right? Because I'm spirit-led. That's the point. That's what Paul is telling them, right? So he says in verse 15, we have not received uh, the spirit of God in Christ. Could you go there? Romans 8, 15. We have not received the spirit of slavery leading again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry a father, whom we cry Abba, father. Now, I'm going to briefly cover Abba and father. Keep in mind that this is a term that actually means father. It actually means father. Okay. But it's a deeper way of saying it. It's actually acknowledging the deity of God who he is and reverencing him. It's not just calling him dad. That's not the point of it, right? So you're acknowledging, when you say Abba Father, you're acknowledging who he is in his essence, in his presence, and everything about him. That's what you're acknowledging, right? So it's a a deep reverence of calling him Father. And what's interesting about that is because he mentions slavery and fearing again, that's someone who's enslaved to a master, right? And yet in this verse, we see that he calls us We are adopted, and now we call him father. So now I'm no longer slaved like this. I'm now a son, and he's my father, right? That's what Paul is making the distinction of. So I'm no longer there. I'm here. I'm in a new category now. There is no condemnation for me. He is my father. I'm being led by him. Isn't that amazing? Like, man, you're you're now called. You're adopted into his family. You can't get no better than that. Okay, so going on, because we are running out of time. All right. Well, that's odd. Let's see. Okay. Now, going on, uh, we are going to cover, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. So we're going to read on. Read on. All right. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must what? We must also share in his suffering. Okay. So what I like about this is we tend to always say, we're going to be glorified with God. That's a great thing. Yay, yay, yay. But we gloss over, we got to share in his sufferings, right? We, We just gloss over that. That doesn't apply to me. It actually does, right? There's a lot of people in the world that actually see real suffering. Americans, we don't really see much suffering. I shouldn't say everybody, but as a whole, we don't, right? But throughout the world, there's beatings, there's theft, there's people damaging church property, they're burning stuff down, they're being imprisoned, and some of them are being killed, right? Real persecution out there. The type of persecution that Paul and Jesus and all of them are referring to, right? But there is also a different type of persecution that we can also go through. And Americans go through some types of persecution as well, meaning they make laws that we don't like that go against um, our system of belief, things like that. Um, Maybe they don't like you. They treat you unfairly because you're a Christian. Some of these things will happen to you. If you're a real Christian speaking the gospel, living like it, there's going to be people that just don't like you because of that reason. The Bible says that. 
okay? But here's one of the things that I think is important to understand. There is a suffering of the cross in our own life that we should be going through, okay? It's easy to say we share in his sufferings, but then we look at that scripture and we dismiss it, right? But in reality, you should be going through some type of suffering in your life. And I don't mean suffering as in, woe is me and pick on me. And I don't mean that at all. I mean the suffering of the cross. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, right? So let's go there, as a matter of fact. Let's turn to, or actually, Paul didn't. Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And this is what I'm talking about. This is Jesus speaking here. And he says, then he said to them, he said to them all, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. What does taking up your cross daily mean? If you take up a cross, what is that? You're crucifying something, right? You're killing, you're putting to death something. So that's the type of suffering I'm talking about. Every Christian should be going through some type of suffering like that, in that way, right? In other words, you're not living for you, right? You're putting your own ambitions, your own desires, your own everything else secondary to what God wants in your life. I don't, that, that's, I'll, I'll let you examine whether you're doing that or not, right? Because that's not for me to say. But I can examine myself. And I, and I said this the other day, I think it was last week when uh, Pastor Matt asked the question, you know, who's your favorite character? And I said, Paul. And I said, you know, my reasons change. Every time I'm reading the Bible, it's like, man, I like this, I like this. My reasons change. One of the reasons I gave last week was because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I mean, how many of us can really just say that, Right? can really say you, you, you no longer live. Everything you do is led by God. Everything. That's, I mean, that's, that's a high standard, I got to say. And we can accomplish that. I'm not saying we can't. I'm saying, man, this was Paul now. Paul, Paul was a man of God walking around thinking only about the kingdom of God and, and what he needed to do right according to what God wanted. How many of us can say that? Right? But that is the goal. The goal is to be able to do that very thing. Take up our cross daily and walk with it. That's the type of suffering we actually should be doing. Okay? If, we can't, if, we're, if we're never going to be in prison or this or that, we may not ever see that in our lifetime. I don't know, in, in America. But I do know this. You should be picking up your cross. That you should be doing, no matter where you're at. Right? All I see is Christians focus on health and wealth. I hear that all the time. Health and wealth, health and wealth. And, hey, those things are important to us, right? They're not, they're not just some trivial thing. They really are important to us. But you know what? That shouldn't be your goal, your main goal. Your main goal should be doing what God says. That's your main goal. Your main goal should be pursuing God and allowing him to dictate what you want to do, what you're going to do, and so on and so forth. That should be your main goal. And I can tell you without a doubt, I can show you throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, that that's what we should be doing, right? Everything else is great, and we want it. We ask for it. We pray for it. That's great. But your main goal is eternity with God. That is your main goal, right? We should be thinking eternally. I think if we had a perspective of realizing that you really aren't a citizen of this world, speaking spiritually now, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. And if you think that way, you'll think long term. You'll think eternally. You'll think, what can I do now that will affect my eternity then? That's what you'll start thinking. Should I help my neighbor? Well, yes, I should. Why? Because I should be loving my neighbor, right? You should be thinking eternally like that. So going on. Let's read verse 15 in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. 
we'll read it again. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, then heirs, and namely heirs of God, also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. Now we'll read on. For I consider that our present suffering cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willing, but because of God who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. Now that's a mouthful, so let's read it in a different version, right? Let's read it in um, New Living Translation, if you would. Romans 8, 18. Yet we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Let's go on. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who is his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. From death and decay. We'll stop there. Okay, so we've read through the scripture. We understand that we will also be glorified in him. So we got to go through the suffering first. That's not the fun part, but we got to go through it. You should always think about that. But then you also are going to be glorified, right? That's a good thing. And glorifying, when we're glorified, the Bible talks about what that means. And he's describing that there. So he describes that the earth, I'm going to sum this up. He describes that the earth is groaning and people are groaning. Okay, let's let's read on before we go there. Let's just keep reading. First, we'll keep going there. For we know that all creation has been growing, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, creation itself has been groaning. How do, I, how do you picture that? I picture that as in the curse is on the earth, right? And now you have earthquakes, you have tornadoes, you have volcanic eruptions. You have all kinds of natural disasters that shouldn't be there. The curse of God, the, the curse that's on the earth, right? So he says, all creation is groaning. And he says, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from what? Sin and suffering. So we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies, he has promised us. So, we see that we can look forward to that. Why? Because God is taking away sin and God is taking away death from us. So we can look forward to being glorified, right? We suffer now, we suffer now, we suffer now. Why? So we can look forward and be glorified. So those things are taken away, right? Now, there's a reason why Paul is bringing all this up. When you read on further in Romans chapter 8 and in chapter 9, you're going to see why he's making all these distinctions and why he's telling you this. Okay. So what I find interesting here is this. Let's, let's read Romans 8.23. Let's read that in New, New Living Translation. He says this, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future. Do you have that in, let's see. I'm going to read it in mine. Not only this, but we have ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption. Now, I find it interesting that in, in, mo, in, in a lot of versions it says first fruits. And I think that's important. Do we know what first fruits are? Do y'all know what first fruits are? 
First fruits, let me, let me just sum it up, okay? First fruits is we would gather everything of our best, right? Gather everything we got that we want to give to God. That's our best, and we would give it. We would give it at the beginning of the year. And that, in turn, would almost guarantee God would look at that and say, okay, the harvest is going to be plenty now. You're going to get the harvest now. That would guarantee. That was the promise. The, the, the first fruits given was the deposit, and then the harvest that came later was the result of that that deposit, okay? So that's what first fruit is, which I find interesting because in most Bible translations, it uses the term first fruits of the Spirit. That's important, first fruits of the Spirit. Why is that important? This is why it's important. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It is God who enabled us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. That is first fruits, right? So in other words, he has given you the spirit of God as the first installment. In other words, that was the deposit. And he's saying he's given you the spirit and that will be the deposit. That's the guarantee that all the promises I have to you are coming. That's the guarantee. So when he says the first fruits of the Spirit, that's what he means. He's saying by the very nature of you having the Spirit of God in you, the promise is going to be revealed to you. In other words, in that time, we're going to be sitting with God, our new bodies glorified, right? That's the guarantee. So if you have the Holy Spirit in you, man, you can feel really good. That is the deposit, man. All, all the word coincides with each other. And I like what this scripture says because it's actually focusing on what it commissions us he identifies us as his own, and he gives us his spirit as a guarantee. He commissioned us. In this scripture, we can see that, right? He has identified us as his own, and then, of course, we have the guarantee. So let's turn to the first portion of that, verse 21, so that they can see that. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. So you see that first part of it. So he did all that, then gave you the spirit and say, there's my deposit. Don't worry, that's my guarantee, right? Isn't that amazing? So then he goes back to Romans chapter 8, verse 24. We're going to keep on Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Okay. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. Now here's, I'm just going to sum that up. We can give an example of what he means by this, right? So, what he's saying is, is, how can you hope for something you already have? So in other words, this picture, you going to buy a car, right? If you bought the car and you're driving it, do you hope to have the car? You have the car, right? What are you hoping for? Like, it's hard to hope when you have the car. You're driving it, right? So that's what he's saying. So picture this. You don't have the car, but you have the down payment for the car, right? What are you going to do with that down payment? You're going to be excited. Picture your parents. We're all 18 years old, right? Yes, I'm 18 years old. We're all 18 years old. Our parents tell us, you know what? I'm going to buy you a car because you did good, but you need to save up money for the, de for the deposit. You save it up. You got it. You go to your parents. You say, hey, I got the deposit. I've got what I need. Are you now not hoping for that car, right? You are hoping that they hold true to their word and get that car, right? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, we have the Spirit as the first fruits, in other words, the guarantee. So I have my deposit. Now I'm hoping eagerly for that day. So that's what Paul is saying here. So that is what he's, so in verse, in chapter 8, verse 14, we went over that 
all the way through chapter 25. And what he's discussing there is important. He's talking and he's making the distinction between the children of God and those who are not the children of God. He's talking about how we are no longer enslaved to fear or anything like that, right? All that's been done away with for us. And he's talking about how we are heirs with God. And because we're heirs with him, we will suffer with him for a time, but we will also be glorified with him. And we'll be glorified with him. We will hope on that day because we know we have the first fruits. We have the guarantee. 